0: Pinpoint focus on one thing at a time. Just absolutely submerge myself. Very, very simple. Just think of what my goal is and just edge forward on that until I've got there. Even if I'm just dragging myself on my fingertips till I get to that point.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry Podcast. Today, our special guest is former paratrooper, world kickboxing champion, and owner of the UK's largest chain of martial arts centres, none other than Lee Matthews, from soldier to seven-figure business owner. Let's go. Hey Lee, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. No, pleasure to finally speak to you now. Obviously, I know you've just sold out a business day for martial arts club owners. So, why do you do what you do? Why do you love it so much?
0: So, basically... um I've been teaching martial arts about 25 years now since I I left the military and just basically did what I was doing as a soldier, turned up on time, looked smart and professional, you know, owned the floor, you know, give a good professional alpha male kind of vibe about yourself and did exactly what I said I was going to do, which... In business, as you know, it's not, uh, it's not really what happens very often, is it? People uh, so, promise the world. So,
1: uh, so yeah, my, my mentor, that's, that's his phrase, do what you said you would. And I was like, well, well, obviously, but like I say, yeah. 99% of people, you turn up on time, you say. Do what you said you would. You're ahead of 99% of the competition.
0: Exactly. Just keep showing up, doing things properly, and people start to, to learn. So I kind of, I, because of that, I was able to build quite a successful martial arts centre in Telford. Um, and then from that, what happened is we then expanded into multiple locations, and ended up franchising many years later, making all the mistakes you can imagine, going through all the rigmarole and dramas that happen in business, personally and professionally, because um, you really do get pulled from pillar to post in business. It's not, um, it's not for the faint hearted, is it? You can experience all the ups and downs of life times one hundred. So obviously getting schooled in the life of hard knocks at the same time, built up what's um, in the end has now become the biggest chain of martial arts centers in the UK, uh, opened over 200 martial arts centers over the 25 years. So the natural progression was, you know, I've been keeping this stuff in house for, for a very long time with my own guys and delivering our training program via my own selection course, which was closed doors and right. a very difficult course to, to, to pass as well. Physically. So the information wasn't really accessible to everyone. So I recently, last year, I wrote a book. I thought I'm going to put this information out there. Now I'm at a point in my life where I don't, it doesn't like, I don't need to do it. I'm successful, but I kind of wanted to do it. So I wrote the book, put in some of the processes, um, that outlining what I call my six rounds of success, which is the systems and processes put in like a logical order for Mm. people to understand, put that down into a book. Uh, the book was released on the thirty first of October last year. When I was in hospital, the day after I had a new hip, actually, um, I thought I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So I was all drugged up at the time. <laughs> but um, we sold uh, in all three in all three um, categories. It was best Amazon number one bestseller. Nice within in a day for, and for for a good few uh, for a good run. So from that, off the, off the back of that, I put a seminar on, as you were just referring to in Telford on saturday just gone saturday the 13th of january and we sold out we had 120 places but we where we had we had to put another table in the end we had 130 odd people that turned up wow uh, and some really big players from all over the uk as far as scotland wales um, and some of the guys in the room had thousands of students i think the biggest one had uh two thousand six hundred students another one had one thousand five hundred students and many there was probably 10 people in the room that had over a thousand um and wow. probably 20 or 30 in the room that had over 500 and the rest of them were any varying amounts from just getting started to to, to somewhere in between but so there's some really big hitters in there which was nice to see um
1: and why do you love it so much what what was a what was the best part of the day
0: um, being able to show off my network of friends because i had 12 guest speakers Mm -hmm. have six rounds and each round I had two speakers was which were speaking about topics related to that particular part of the process. Uh, which the first one's like preparation. So my, my rounds are is 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 ready, um relaunch, rapid growth, retention, restructure, and repeat. And nice. I've got a military analogy for each of them. I can probably fill a whole podcast just with that, so I won't bore you all. Um, but basically, I have a military analogy for each of those because um, obviously I was a paratrooper. So um, um, I just I tie that into a bit of a story as well. I think it helps make it like a multi-dimensional experience for you're learning, rather than just being systems and processes. It's like a journey I take you on from Red On, as a paratrooper in the plane, to Green On Go, which is your launch night, to Advance to Battle, which then the battle then the reorg and then the training and tre- preparation and then you start again Blimey. so
1: I, wow i've just finished yeah. reading um david goggin's second book um never oh, right, finished yeah. I've and
0: that one. Second one. It, yeah.
1: really good really good and the last section is about his training as a smoke jumper and he's talking about jumping out of planes and stuff, where all these forest fires are, and it's like. And he's talking about the yeah. pain, oh, yeah, right. the pain in his bad knees, you know, and he's got he's got a metal plate in on one of his knees, and like jumping out of a plane, and like, I mean, I want to talk about the military, definitely. I mean, was it was it straight into the military after school, and had your martial arts journey already started then?
0: So yeah, so I started martial arts as a kid, um, probably just at the local centres. I lived in Telford, so back in the eighties. I've I born in nineteen seventy six, so growing up like in the 80s when you were cutting about, you just had to go to where the local sports centre, whatever was on at the local sports centre. So right. I think I started off in jiu-jitsu and then I did kung fu and karate. And So I was trying all the all the different ones and then I took it a little bit more seriously as you kind of get to upper school and things get a little bit, you know, there's a lot of big kids about, you're getting a lot of confrontations. So um, is that is that why you
1: started? Yeah, was it anything so. to was, bullying and stuff?
0: So I was six foot when I was 13. So I was...
1: I'm not six foot now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was really skinny as well, though. Right. So um, obviously you're dead self-conscious, aren't you? But I right. would get constantly get into altercations with older kids, 16, 17, 18. Right. And the, I was just a kid still. And a kind of hit a, a pinnacle moment, really. As I, I was, I think it was about 14 years of age. We'd had a few drinks at a party somewhere. And we'd walk to, um, to this pub stroke shop where there was like a little off license and also with some girls by me, just the only lad there. Um, and then something happened, there's a big group of lads there, and basically ended up getting beaten up by by all by a few of them. Uh, and they were like men. They were older than me. They didn't know I was younger. Uh, and I just felt I remember thinking how oh, I never ever want to feel that vulnerable again. I thought I'm never going to feel that vulnerable again. So for me I was so highly motivated to train it didn't matter where I had to drive, what I had to do how hard the training was the harder it was the better nothing was as bad as that feeling of being vulnerable wow. so it was just it was the easy option was to do what i did rather than live feeling like that and being scared wow. so and that kind of exacerbated as i got into it into the journey uh because you obviously feel terrified and vulnerable as a kid and your adrenaline's going off and i was learning i started competing so i started kind of learning to control my fears and face them, because the last thing I wanted to do, I got knocked out in my first competition as well. So it wasn't going very well for me. (laughs) Right, Um, And and I never wanted to do it again, but I knew I kind of had to. Um, And then as that kind of went on, I got to a point when I was about 15 or 16, because I'm dyslexic. So we found out when I was 35, I was just in bottom class for everything. Um, And I got to a point where I thought, I had limited options, but so so I didn't know what to do. You couldn't teach martial arts back then. No one was doing it. And I just knew I wanted to be, I knew how I wanted to be as a man in my head. I always visualized it when I was a kid. And I knew exactly what I was going to, My body would be like. I knew how I'd stand, what I'd be dressing like, what people would think of me and what I'd think of myself. So I was just, what could I, what's the hardest thing that I could have done as a younger man? You Know and I was looking, it was the parachute regiment or the Royal Marines. They were the you can't join special forces straight from as a civilian, so and they're the two ones, aren't they? So I was researching which ones, and obviously, um, I, I decided the parachute regiment would suit me, so I went down that route and just committed wholeheartedly uh, to that. But because I was so skinny, they wouldn't let me in, <laughs> so these I had to like, so I failed like on the medical, and I had to come back and probably. A year later, I think it was, where I had to kind of build myself up a little bit. Right, okay. I, I hadn't built myself up that way. I just put four pairs of bottoms on and extra tops and just thought, I can't put this weight and I'm just going to try and bluff it a little oh, bit. And I managed to just get in under the weight.
1: And, wow. Um, wow, wow, okay. So, I mean, you mentioned you touched upon fear then. I mean, so, so uh, there's a lot of fear in business. You know, fear of what might happen, fear of competitors. Well, was there something you learned early on when it came to dealing with fear? Was it a case of, listen, this is this is the reality. I've got to step onto that mat and do it no matter what. Or was there something you learned about fear and about how you better deal with it?
0: So to leave it is worse. To leave it's worse. If you know something needs to be done, you've got to do it regardless of how you feel. That's one thing I did learn. I started learning that quite early. It's only a very simple, it doesn't sound very complicated, but it's very powerful if you apply that in your life a lot consistently and think right, what needs to be done? Because most people are guided emotionally over what they over what they um what's easiest, the mm. path of least resistance mm-hmm. really. Um and they almost lie to themselves. They're unconscious of the fact that they, they go, Oh, it's all right, they're fine, you know, that member of staff's fine, or the relationship I'm in is great. It's not, they know it is. Goods, the enemy are great, isn't it? When something's mm-hmm. okay, it's not too bad. It's not causing you too many issues or issues mm-hmm. or problems. Uh, people don't take any action mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. So um, yeah, but I, I was quite easily able to align with what I really wanted to do and what ne- have, needed to happen, and then made sure I did that regardless of, of how I felt oh, doing it. Wow. But that took me some practice because it's just terrifying the unknown. The unknown is the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. But when you open the door, the monster's never there. It's never as bad as you think, you no, know. When you leave it and you don't look, it, the monster gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it, in your mind? And you just oh yeah,
1: it's... yeah. I mean, we see a lot of it in business. so I'm sure you do as well. Like people who bury their heads in the sand. Um, oh god, yeah. A lot of thing in our game. We help a lot of fitness professionals and very, very incestuous industry. Always looking what their competitors are doing. And I remember the yeah. the, the biggest thing I learned in martial arts with, with fear was it was it was my first judo competition. Uh, my first match, and I looked across the mats at the guy I was going to face and his gi was undone and he was fucking mm. ripped, six pack and everything. <laughs> so he basically beat me before I before I got on the mats. Um, yeah. And the annoying thing was um, I beat two guys later on that competition who beat him. So if I hadn't let him get in my head I probably would have got gold instead of bronze. And that was just such a massive lesson that just because someone great, yeah. looks a business or is loud or whatever, doesn't mean they know more than you.
0: No, definitely no. not. Sometimes the loudest person in the room is the, yeah, the, the most frightened person in the room as well. Um, you don't realise that when you're young, that, you know, the big mm. so-called alpha males that like to establish themselves immediately in a room. Um, you know that generally don't tend to be the strongest characters.
1: And, and was that the same in the army? Did you find was, was that kind of stuff going on? There, there's always like the loud group. And I mean, what was it like, like going from school into this this brand new, well, a male-heavy well, environment?
0: And, and absolutely everything I thought it would be, and it, it was amazing. It was the, it's the hardest training you can do. Um, some of the hardest training in, in the world that you can do. So to have gone in there, and I just wanted that. That didn't bother me. Uh, and because it took me a year to get in, because I had to put weight on, and I was, the streets of Telford back then, it was just, I was in, in fights all the time, you know, and there was no prospects for me there. I was just so grateful to be there. When I got there, I just, I actually enjoyed the training. Like most people hate it, and I was just like, oh, just glad to be here. I love the PT, even though the, no one actually likes the PT when it gets to the nitty gritty, because it's it's horrendous, but I didn't mind getting into that dark place and just, you know, giving everything. Um, the admin was hard when you're a younger man because you're used to your mum doing it. And you come straight from right. your mum doing everything. You make your own bed, and you might wash up here and there, but that's totally different to being totally in control um, and responsible for every single thing that you do, uh, including live ammunition, controlling a weapon that can kill somebody, um, keeping all your personal kit clean and and yourself in good order, mm. uh, and, and making sure that you know the next the lesson everything you need to know, um, and then be able to implement it. And and you spend your whole time you're like shitting yourself, excuse my hmm. uh, language, you, but you spend the whole time scared, but just learning to hold it down and not look like you are. So you give an external confidence, but when, when inside, you know, you, you're unsure. But once you've done that for so long, you kind of learn to be truly confident in the unknown. So now, even when I'm in a position where I don't know what's going on and I don't know the answer, I'm cool, calm, and collective, mm. and able to know that I will sort it out because I always sort stuff out. I'll find a way, and then, uh, then things. If, if you've got that level of confidence, then things start to unfold, mm. and you start to, you know, start to get the answers that you want, and people believe you then as well and buy into it. And you know, if you if you think the other way and you're closed-minded and you don't believe you can do anything then it's either way it's a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't
1: it yeah absolutely so, so i mean if you were in the military till 25 w- were there any seeds being sown during that time where you thought that you were going to work for yourself one day did you or did you f- foresee yourself being in the military like till retirement age we, you know were you still doing your martial arts or in the military what what was happening as you were sort of getting to your mid 20s yes
0: yeah, so i was i was training still in my martial arts uh, I was ba- I based at Dover for the majority of the time I was there, I was there for like five years. Uh, and then sometimes uh, we did bits in all the shop and was on uh, as well. And then I was, I was doing my martial arts, but I trained up to be a PTI as well, physical training instructor. I'd always wanted to be a PTI. And when you go to, when you go to the training establishment, they're the ones that are taking you through all the PT and like you look up to them and you think, wow, yeah, I want to do that. That'd be amazing to be able to kind of bring all these people through and, and to uh and to train them so i put i, I did that I a junior nco so i was learning leadership qualities as well and how to manage people and learning all the physical aspects how to warm the body up correctly hold just hold your own in a group environment uh, that mixed in with my current martial arts skills and i, I did a black belt in what uh, when i was when i was in dover as well at one of the full contact clubs so it but there was, at no stage was i thinking i was going to go out and teach because nobody was doing it at that stage. Um, that wasn't something that was done. It was the, that was the late 90s um, and then coming into the early 2000s. But I started training with another family called the Winspers in the Midlands, which is near where I'm from in Telford. But I was based in Dover at the time. So I used to drive back to train with these because these were the best in the UK at what they were doing at the time. Um, and then I'd train with them on the Friday, Saturday, fighting a tournament on Sunday and then drive back down to camp and i'll do wow. that on as many weekends as possible and they had just come off a seminar of which some americans um uh, had come over from the states and these guys were teaching martial arts they were driving sports cars and you know what the americans like with all the flash stuff nice and they were coming over and wowing all the brits and with their with all their suits and you know and their stories of making all this money so and the, and they had some, some of the stuff didn't rub with me, I'll be honest with you, but a lot of, some of the systems that they come up with was allowing people to be able to actually take what they've been doing for years and and actually earn a living, a good living from it. So, and then started to do it. And he, I remember sitting down with my instructor and he said, why didn't you do it? And I, once he planted the seed, it's probably just a fleeting thing, instead. Mm. said, and I saw they were doing it and then established, they had three full-time centers because there was a father and the two sons and I'd go and flip between their centers And I'll see what they were doing and that they were filling them up. And I thought they can do it. I I can definitely do this. Um, I got married to my first wife uh, at the time um, and had a a new baby boy. And I was either going to get posted. So I was at the depot temporarily as a PTI, uh, but I was going to get a full-time post in there um, and, and then go on to go back to my battalion and stay in, or I could, Choose another path, which is what I chose to do. So I signed off um, and then I opened my location in Telford while I was in the army because I was based at Lichfield at the time. That's where the, the first uh, phase of the training used to take part. So I used to drive back, it's take me about 40 minutes. Uh, and I was getting paid from the army for about five months. Maybe. So when i started it i was still getting paid from the nice. army
1: Nice,
0: yeah because of where i was they were they were really good so i just i knew i needed to have enough just to pay my bills that's all i wanted to pay all i wanted is the same amount as i had in the army uh, doing what I loved and I'd have been happy so that's all I did to start with just to try.
1: But, I mean you mentioned they Interesting about like driving up from Dover on a Friday like training on a Saturday fighting on a Sunday I mean our motto you can see behind is stay hungry and one of the biggest yeah. challenges we have is finding business owners we can help because they, they've got to be hungry so where did that uh, come from I mean, driving up from bloody Dover training competing fighting and then driving back most people will be like well oh, fuck that for a um, game of soldiers the- where, where, where did that come from did you learn it the- or was it always there
0: no, it's always been, that's always part, it's an integral part of my character, but that is what you are like as a paratrooper as well. That's so, to be as I am anyway, and then to be, to go into like an elite regiment, like the parachute regiment, where they are, you are the best, Non-stop. you're better than everyone else. This is what you do. Um, Everything you do has got to be the very best you've ever done, and then it's not good enough still. So you need to, you need to do more than everyone else. You need to lead from the front. You need to outwork everybody. So I would I had, no other option, but that's the way I was going to be. This is why I chose to go down that path. That in line with the way I, I was anyway. I was very strong-willed and had an um, obsessive nature. When it comes to something, I'd submerge myself in it. Um, then that's all I did with anything I ever do. Um, I just totally submerged myself in it, which unfortunately, when people do start up businesses, they don't realize the fact that when you... It's like a newborn baby; it needs all your attention. Get when they get older, you don't mm-hmm. need to be holding the baby and feeding it all the time. Feed it, but when you start off, that you need to commit, a, a submerge yourself within that project. Until it's up on its own two feet and it's got its own legs.
1: Yeah, and I mean, another challenge we, we often find is uh, the curse of the entrepreneur's shiny object syndrome. So, like you say, when you start a business, you've got to focus one hundred percent. You can't afford to get distracted by, especially nowadays, all this shiny new stuff going on. Oh, I must dance on TikTok and do this and do that. So, so, so you immerse yourself in your first business. Um, how did you grow and scale that into like the the behemoth it became?
0: Yeah. Pinpoint focus on one thing at a time. Just absolutely submerge myself. Very, very simple. Just think of what my goal is and just edge forward on that until I've got there. Even if I'm dragging myself on my fingertips till I get to that point. And then once I've got there, and like you said, that's very good. Shiny, what do you call it? Shiny Shiny
1: object syndrome. Yes.
0: Because this is what people do. You need a goal. You need to know what it is. Then you need to know what your first step to get there is. And you need to stay focused you don't need to stay focused on the goal because that can be quite painful just looking at where you're not. but you, you have to be focused on the task that you need to do to get you to the goal so you're fully submerged mm-hmm. and present in that task and not get distracted because if you get distracted and you're trying to go from A to B and when you get halfway to B and you go, C looks good, then you start to go towards C, then you go, oh, D looks even better. You can walk forever and you're never going to get to any destination. And I knew that if I could just... I knew I could get so many students if I just stayed doing what I was doing. So I just did that until I got to that point, and then I thought, right, well, I know I can get to this next one. So it's just pinpoint focus on your goals, not getting distracted, not changing your mind. Um, you can anyone can get anything as long as they, as long as they set it into small goals and they don't get distracted. And, do everything wrong, even like I did to start with, but learn my lessons, and I just crept my course of action until I until I got there without changing my mind. Because yeah. people can get failing or doing things wrong can very can be very um, disheartening, mm-hmm. and when you're disheartened, it doesn't feel very nice, and it's quite easy to go, "Oh, that's not for me," or "I didn't do that very good," or "I'm not good at that." Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. You just that you're in learning when it feels like that. That's where you're growing, uh, and people need to kind of understand that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's like that story Napoleon Hill talks about, the three feet from gold, you know, the person who gives up digging when they're so yeah. close, just to have that tenacity to go after it, to go after it, and and like you say, to firstly know where you're going. You know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of business owners go around in circles because they, they don't know where they're going, so to have that vision. But it's great what you said. You can't just focus purely on that because you might think, well, I'm not there, I'm not there, so what do yeah. I need to do today, tomorrow, this week, to move me forward closer That's to it. that goal? So 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 your first academy was up and running um what was uh and a success what was the next step after that when did your sort of six Rs develop um and and what part did Um, that play in your growth
0: the six Rs didn't come out until well they've been they've been in effect for 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 many years obviously but it wasn't until i wrote the book that i put them into this so it was probably only about 18 months ago that actually restructured them into there but what happened is we had the one full-time center and then we had about four hundred students there, um in, in like in its peak there. Four
1: hundred in one so, club.
0: Wow. Yeah, yes yeah. so in, in a town with, I don't know, sixty thousand people or something. So whereabouts so in Telford is that? It, it's in Tweedale in Maidley.
1: okay, okay. I'm
0: still there now, I'm still there to this day. So um and I've got two I've got a few centres. I've got about I've got two centres in Telford now. I've got one in Wellington as well. Uh, the World Champion Academy in Wellington and I've got the main headquarters in, in Maidley and then I've got about 20 schools around it, like 80 primary schools and stuff. So um, what happened is we had the one location. We're starting to get people to do the black belts. The black belt, I obviously put my own military feel on it as well, and made it so it was the hardest thing that they were ever going to do, had to be. They wanted to, yeah, I wanted to put my, my name was going to be on it. I wanted them to earn it. Mm-hmm. And I also, because I'd done so many hard things myself that I didn't know you was going to do until I could do it, I knew people had loads more left in the tank. You know, and so I wanted to absolutely push them to the limits and beyond, because once they do that and they complete it, they're never the same again. The whole self-image flips because they thought they were there. Really, that's the type of character they are. That's And that is that's life changing. So that's what I did. And we had such motivated black belts, as you can imagine, I like that were really bought into it then. And then these guys wanted to teach. It's the natural thing. Once you know something, you know it's the way that the world works. You should pass it on, you know. And you feel com- you feel compelled to, and you want to. Nothing's better than mentoring and coaching someone. And we've all had coaches and mentors ourselves, and appreciate the time you get from them. So I, I started uh, opening other schools. You, you know, utilizing the guys that we had. Did it all wrong. Messed things up. The school ended up shutting, and I had the business arrangement wrong you know and rather than we had a few people that were I'd grown quite big schools and they left and they went by themselves and that was horrible you know I said you're experiencing all of the dramas of life times 10 people that I'd been best friends with and people I'd known for years that would and then because of money you got them successful and they ended up flipping because I had no contracts in place because I was dead relaxed about it all so rather than blaming them, I thought right I always look at what and I do, mm. it's easy to blame someone else, isn't it? But then there's no accountability there. So I thought, right, rather than blaming them for that, they weren't being paid enough. How do I structure this? So they're happy. So anything I've ever done moving forwards, everyone needs to be, it needs to be beneficial to everybody. Everyone needs to win. So I learned that and that was a very, very valuable lesson. So even though it was very painful at the time, that my whole model is based on that now. So it, it works for them. Then I made sure that I had contracts in place regardless of who they are and how awkward it is. We spoke about this earlier. You know, you've got, you've got to do things properly. Um, so you're younger and naive when you're young, uh, when you, when you're less experienced in business, sorry. Um, so if anyone that's not doing that and you should, that's one thing I'd say straight away, you know, you've got to do it. It doesn't have to be awkward. It's a normal part of life. Everyone does it. And it's to hedge their bet. It's to, it's to look after them mm-hmm. as well in case it happens to them. They get injured, you know, they want some stability. So it's a mutual, mutually beneficial thing. So, that helped me do it. And then I just started kind of doing it, putting together a training course because I was getting more people that were doing it. So I thought, right. We, so I had to sit down over weeks and months and put everything I'd learned within the military together, uh, into a kind of structured and all the stuff I'd learned from seminars and other stuff from my martial arts experience and put together our own, own unique training program, which then became the basis of my training course. So if you get highly motivated people, you put them on a training course, um, really push them as we did with the black belt. So that, so that you're really challenging them. You got someone highly motivated, perfectly ready for the job that want to go and do it. And now I've got a model that worked, which would service and help them as well. So it's not just user friendly for the franchise or, okay. That's no good, is it? Because relationships will break down mm-hmm. and it's not got any legs to stand on and no longevity. So I made a system that worked for them do you know what I mean? And it will work for me ultimately if they get successful and we could scale. So that's what we did.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, and so say a martial arts club owner came to came to like your day in Telford. You, you yeah. go through the six R's. I mean, what 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 does their kind of journey look like? Are there some people there who who maybe have just started up on their own? Are there people there who've been in the game a long time but for whatever reason, they're just not as far along down the line as they want? I mean, what, what kind of people are coming to you for help?
0: Well, I've just recently, after Saturday, I've started opening my course up to, to anyone that it wants to to go on it. Basically, okay. So before it was just our franchisees. So we would use that as a selection process for them, and we would skim off the top, of the very best. You had to get an A grade, so they would fight off. So I would offer jobs as well. I'd offer one or two jobs and have ten people on a course. Uh, that would, and the winner would take all the glory. So, uh, and that's quite different to so, like any other franchise. Uh, you can just buy, mm-hmm. just, if you've got them, you can get in, it was like now. Nah. so and my goal was never to be the big, biggest, it was just to be the best, uh, because and because we had the standard, and the quality, and then the reputation starts to grow, and years later, the depth of your students and instructors, we ended up getting a great reputation and becoming, you know, and becoming big, so um, that's what I would say, concentrate on the quality, your mm-hmm. integrity, your values, and your brand, make sure that's in, all, all in line, and you stick with it, and you don't make any sacrifice from that and then then everything else comes comes from that yeah so definitely i've seen
1: i've seen so many franchises fall down because the franchisor just accepts the check off anyone and everyone and i imagine yeah. if someone's waving a check for like 40 grand it'll be tempting to take it but then yeah, the, comp- well, the your well, network's compromise isn't it
0: it is yeah and it's it's fast money it's a deal with the devil <laughs> you know what i mean it's gonna bite you it's not gonna work you're gonna do it right and it will come you know, if you do things correctly, it it will happen and it will come, but it will be slower. You know, it's the right path. Mm. And then you're building something solid then, aren't you? It's like building a house, not putting any foundations down on it. It's going to – first big storm and it's coming down, isn't it? So
1: yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So, so I mean, like you say, there's there, there's good money, there's bad money. Um. Who aren't you suitable for? What are the kind of warning signs if someone wants to come to you and say, oh, Lee, I want to be a part of your course. I want you to 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 mentor me. What, what kind of questions do you ask to find out whether or not you can help them?
0: So we want people with big aspirations. We want people that want to expand. So people outside of my organisation, when they're coming from my organisation, they normally haven't, they haven't got a martial arts school. So we're building them from scratch. And I like that because you can input in them properly. You can build up the right way. So when they're coming from somewhere else, we're mentoring them so we can't we're not going to be as hands it hands on approach in all of the teaching side of things we can advise on that for them mm-hmm. but we what we want is people with of, of the right ilk okay um the so anyone and I, I didn't properly answer your question earlier about the best part of the event the best part of the event was the 12 guest speakers i have are my associates i call them associates but they're not associates they're they are um, family, they are my tribe, they are people that we are connected with, I don't work with someone unless there's a genuine connection with them, that I feel that I can help them and I want to be around them so I won't go, I don't work with people I don't like um, and it, I can tell straight away if someone's you know, if they're a bit insecure or they're a bit nervous because they're meeting you, that's fine you can break that down, once they've done our training course, all their egos are gone, we've built them back up from scratch and then they're they're humble and they're ready to listen. Then, do you know what I
1: mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that really
1: nice, nice. And I mean, you know, we talked sort of touch upon hunger early on. Um, again, to come back to warning signs, is there anything when someone approaches you that no. you 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 in a nice, possible way you haven't got the drive to make a success of it? You've been in the game a long time. You can probably spot the warning signs earlier than maybe uh, people who are newer to business.
0: Yeah. So low skilled. Overweight and cash hungry, they're like, that's the worst because you're not all they're going to be all they're going to be caring about is themselves, right? So, um, so at that stage, they're not very good, they can't really give as much value as, as what, what our instructors would like to do, and they're going to be all about themselves and what they can get, and also they've got a massive ego as well because it's okay to have an ego. You need one. If you're the living, breathing example of success as an instructor, you need to be the king of the castle. Do you know what right. I mean? And you need to portray that, and everyone needs to know. And in your, in your environment, what you they dance to your tune, because that's the way you've got to be. You're a leader. They, they're buying into what you do. Um, but you also need to be able to be humble when it's time to learn. So if you take a big ego into a learning environment and think that you know everything, you're shutting yourself off from any further from any further knowledge, because you don't need it because you know everything. So you have to be able to be a white belt, we call it like a white belt mentality. And that was the great thing about the event um, that we did on Saturday. We had some really successful people there, all black belts, masters, grandmasters, sixth dance, fifth dance, but they went there and they went there as a white belt, humble to learn and to listen from anyone around them. Because everyone, anyone who's successful knows when you can learn from everybody around you you're not doing everything Some someone is doing something that you're not in well, some area
1: so there's a quote on the wall here just can only see the end of it by Henry Ford it's like anyone who stops learning is old whether at 20 or 80 and yeah I think yeah. There, are, there are some people who just they just can't be taught because they know it all already and yeah, exactly. yeah we can spot that a lot quicker than we used to because we just used to try and want to help everyone but the fact is you can't people don't want help yeah, yeah. yeah. some
0: people don't want help or they think they do or they'll come and try and milk you for as much as they can as much free information as possible so i give a load of free stuff out and so do you guys yeah you give so much free information that really could you could just scroll through if you're proactive you could scroll through all of your podcasts watch everything and you're going to be way more informed to succeed than you would be if you hadn't of. Yeah. um but some people will just, some people just do that and then never commit as well. So I don't like that wishy-washiness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Receptively reciprocal. You know, don't mind giving anyone stuff and bits of information and helping bring everyone up. This one's going to try and milk you for as much information as possible and not want to be reciprocal yeah. in the relationship. This yeah. is what I was talking about. about having genuine connections with people. You don't mind if you're, if you, I'm happy to give my money to a mentor that genuinely cares about me, that wants to help me. I'm, Glad to give them the check, aren't you? You've you got a mentor. You said as well. Absolutely, yeah. Know? If you pay them, like it's you want to give it, you're grateful for it. Thank you very much for all the because it's priceless. Some of the information you can get if someone's ahead of you and you just walk in their footsteps, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a tough realization for me. So, so my dad was a was a GP in Telford for like many many years, and so he's always always instilled in me as a kid you, you you've got to help everyone there's a doctor you know he he did yeah. you know how many times he had to fucking go out and call in the middle of the night for someone who was just hungover yeah, or whatever that. but it took me a long time to realize in business we we just can't do that we can't afford to help everyone um no. and it's ideally getting to that point where you can find out sooner rather than later who who can have your time because once that time's gone you don't get it back so um you know, we when we do talk about time a lot here you know it's a currency of life so with everything you do with everything you have done and want to do how is your kind of work-life harmony looking at the moment you know the, the time you spend yeah, so, with the people who matter to you And
0: so what i do and i've always said this and you touched on it earlier where do you get that drive from in order to succeed you have to 100 percent submerge yourself in a task and you need to put it right at the top of your priorities some people won't say this they'll say you live a balanced life rubbish i was a, a world champion champion and an international fighter i've trained multiple world champions and the ones that wanted to balance everything out never became the successful ones and i know some people won't, won't want to hear it but mm-hmm. if you're not doing as much as you can someone else is and they'll win they'll get the glory so you can't it, like that i've obviously i've got a wife i've got three children i've got a house um i've got multiple businesses there's a lot of things and a lot of moving parts and i've just written a book as well that's a such a a lot of time you wouldn't even imagine for a year and then I've launched my new mentoring company the elite martial arts uh, mentoring company so there's lots of stuff going on but what I do I submerge myself in a task and rather than being balanced I counterbalance afterwards so that I will then I will then like go on holiday I'll turn my phone off for like first three four days and I'm submerging myself back with the family and giving attention to them um or then i will block half a day off and then i'll go and then right we'll go out for some food uh we'll go out on the weekends now weekends for me um i used to always work my whole life when i was either in the military you're working a lot of weekends but i'd always be fighting so every weekend i'd be training on saturday and i'll teach saturday morning and so I teach Saturday morning, train afterwards in squad trainings for Saturday afternoons and tournaments for Sunday. So I was always busy every weekend. So now I'm not. I don't mind. My week can be as full as it, it likes. I work from home. My I see my family when I'm here. My I'm lucky I'm in my office. So I manage my time really well now. And I probably see my kids more than a lot of men that are in an office working like eight till six later sometimes, isn't it? Uh, and then they're exhausted on a weekend and probably got no energy to do anything else or they're catching up on other work stuff. So counterbalancing, not balance life. So merge yeah, yourself in a project like a newborn baby. Get it up so it's self-sufficient. Step back, once you know everything. Then when the plates are spinning, you can manage spinning the plates then. But what I've seen a lot of people when they do their second business, that have been very successful at their first business and then try to do a second business in their spare time and then wonder why it doesn't work. And most people I know that start a second business after a successful first business fail because of that reason. Because they've not got the first one up sufficient enough to step back and then go submerge themselves in the next project with the same passion that they had for the first one. Because it's do or die on that first one. I hedged all my bets. I bet the ranch. I had to make it work. I had no safety net and I had to jump. So if you can keep, and obviously now I'm in a different financial situation, but I still approach stuff with that same rawness every single time I trick myself. And that, is the, that is the importance and the urgency. That is how high up in my hierarchy of values that is to me in that time. And if I don't, I'll only do that with, with, i'm doing a project that is how i am you know so it has to be to L- work.
1: love that counterbalance that, that's the yeah, agree 100 percent. it's whatever you're doing it's about being present whether that's talking to a client whether that's on a podcast whether that's with your kids you know um my my 14 year old she was only eight at the time but it was her who taught me that i i she was saying i don't spend much time with her and i was like well i do she goes well no it's always you and your phone and that was a real wake-up call when an eight-year-old tells you that so it's like i'd rather spend an hour just with my daughter, rather than three hours with her and my phone going off. Quality, um, yeah.
0: absolutely. They'd appreciate that as well. So when you are with, when you're doing something, it's not about quality. It's about quant. So it's not about uh, uh, quantity of, of, of sporadic, you know, half attention. Mm-hmm. If you just quality with anyone, any meeting you've got with someone. If you're talking to someone, it's a member of staff then make sure you're fully present with them and giving them your attention if it's your kids sit with them play computer games with them or whatever take them out go for a bike ride don't have your phone on don't do you know don't do both obviously we all do it sometimes and sometimes things are pressing but like you've said smaller amounts of time make it quality
1: yeah, absolutely That's absolutely so i mean most most clients come to us because they can't give their marketing enough attention they can't give it the focus yeah. it needs so obviously marketing is one of the modules uh in in your days in your mentor program so what, what are some of the favorite or the most effective ways um to, to market your business and, and what what you teach to your uh to your clients
0: yeah well the best ways i was actually talking about the this- in detail on Saturday as well and I'll outline it in my book as well which is called Elite Martial Arts Instructor, um, just in case you're interested. Um, so most of the stuff we do is free. The free marketing works better okay. face-to-face, genuine engagement with people, meetings, connections, talking to people. So and we've got a wealth of things that we that we do because um, we work. I work the 80-20 rule. So what I do is I try to get the maximum bang for my book uh, and the maximum amount of... Effort and input for my time. You know the 80 to 20 rule. So, input and output. So, input isn't equal to output. If you were to do 10 forms of marketing, two of the forms of marketing would bring in 80% of the results. Yeah. What I do is I identify the, the 20% that gives you the 80%, and then I spend 100% of my time or money on those. So, I get a maximum effort, uh, from maximum results for my effort or money. And that is everything. Uh, not because I'm lazy, because I'm I'm efficient, mm-hmm. and I spend more time doing that, so I'm more productive. So for me, the eighty twenty rule is primary schools because eighty percent of our market's children. Ah, okay. So, yes, yeah, so we do a lot of stuff at primary schools where we'll go in do an assembly. Um, we can do, or we go up town centres and we'll do a big demo. Ah. Uh, but rather than making it all singing and all dancing and getting everybody with with choreographed, um, you know, kind of routines to do, we just run the classes up there. And then we have a big team of staff up there and we actually just sign people up while we're there. So it's having the systems in place to capitalise on the, on the attention you're getting though because it's all good and well having attention. It's all good and well getting leads, isn't it? But if you've got not dealing with them, <laughs> you know what I mean? I say to our guys... <laughs> our biggest challenge done, that is. <laughs> exactly. They've got these leads. And do you know what happens with some people? The more leads they get, the less valuable they become to them. And that is not how you grow. That's like having more money and spending more money. That's not how you get rich. You, you value money and you get more money in and, and then you can grow your you know your wealth so um yeah it's about treating every lead like it's the most important thing mm-hmm. you've ever done it could be that could be worth uh, if, you, if someone subscribes to whatever your services could be an annual membership that could t- total up to hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. don't know whatever business it might be mm-hmm. for somebody so they are really valuable so they need to be dealt with and spoken to and you know, if, I've seen people that, I've been out with them, they've got a lead, look have gone, ah, oh, I've been out, and I was like, what is it? And they went, I've just got two leads. I'm like, wow, like, that's your response. You are never gonna be successful in business. You should be jumping up and cheering that anyone has been, you know, shown some attention to your business. And that is the difference, that mindset difference. And then you'll deal with that lead. The message you send them has got more sincerity to it, mm-hmm. it's more genuine, there's more connection there. And they'll feel that when when you contact them, so back onto the other forms of, of marketing as well. So town centres, um, yeah, schools, school assemblies. We go on the school gates as well afterwards. So we've done an assembly. Then we go on the gates. We text all the parents. So And then we send flyers out. It's all coordinated, like a military attack. All happens on the same day. They get the text message about two in the afternoon to say that we're on the school gates. We've done the assembly with the kids, telling them we're on the school gates. We get them all fired up. They all have flyers given to them that day. All of it's got to coordinate together. Then, then we'll see them on the gates, and then we'll sign, we'll sign loads of people up and book them straight in. And then we, then it's our confirmation process. Make sure that's thorough and sincere, um, and then make sure that you, when they turn up, you're giving them a twenty-four, a forty-eight hour, twenty-four hour uh, confirmation as well. We re- we do that with confirmations. We require a form of action back off them. They must say yes. Because we're oversubscribed, if we because we always are, to to and then if they say yes, they're coming, they are. That's what we've found. Mm-hmm. So when we do our confirmation, you might only get fifty percent of them say yeah. So what we do is the following day when it's actually on, we send the same message out again in the morning, get another twenty percent of them, and then at midday we ring anyone else that hasn't done it. So when I when we turn up for the intro, we'll, we'll say right there was how many yeses have you got? I don't care about how many booked in because that's who's turning mm-hmm. up. So you know exactly who's coming. So it's that thoroughness with every single thing you do, every single time you do it, with every single member of your staff. It's not rocket science. There's no one big success. Success is the little things, the basics, done consistently, sincerely, uh, over and over again.
1: I think this is a... Another occasion where shiny object syndrome comes in because it yeah. might not it might not be big and sexy, but it is that effort of like contacting these people whose data you've got like you know it's not a case of leaving one voicemail it's being ethical and polite but the fortune's in the follow up and like um speaking to people you know in in a world that supposedly has never been more connected. I think yeah. a lot of people have never felt more disconnected so having having conversation yeah, with people and, and obviously all I know-
0: noise creates silence all that noise it just creates silence isn't it because people are bombarded with so much stuff mm-hmm. that nothing means anything you know um, n- nothing has that value does it anymore when years gone by when I first started you could put a flyer out you could put loads of flyers <laughs> and be bomb- and flyers. people are bombarded with constant Facebook marketing now everything all the time aren't they so you've got to stand out from the crowd and you've got to be really you know yeah. grateful when your leads come through yeah. and deal with them yeah. accordingly
1: flies in the yellow pages that used to be enough didn't it um so um yeah, the yellow pages, great. <laughs> so I mean, one of the r's you mentioned was retention so so yeah. your martial arts centers they've got lots of like clients customers in um any kind of tips you, could, you can share with our listeners when it comes to looking after your customers because you know the, the old leaky bucket get people in that's great but it ain't worth it if half yeah. them drop out the bottom
0: no, and what you're saying there crosses over because I know you're a marketing expert, and I know you're one of the best in the game. Uh, and what you say crosses over to any business. The leaky bucket is exactly what I say to people because you could be front end because marketing is really important, and you, you're throwing them all in. But if you've got a leaky bucket, <laughs> guess what? They're all coming out of the back door, and all the work you've done. And you see people do this big churn all the time, mm, don't they? Yeah. And they keep they keep about the same size that they get to. So in order to get bigger, you gotta you gotta you gotta uh, plug those holes haven't you yep. so for us, for retention is for martial arts the basic thing is our product is the classes the delivery mm-hmm. of the classes so i'm saying it as my product because this can relate to other companies then that would listen so the best marketing and retention is the best possible product you can give so for me every class we do is the best class we've ever done that's our motto that's the way we live We've got to be inspired by what we write in our lesson plans. We've got to be motivated to deliver it. We're not clock watching. We're fully present. So that in itself is a good. And not everyone it will do that. And so that's, what, that's, the, that's the, the motto we've got. Then we meet and greet. So everyone, we're dealing with everyone. We have three points of contact with everyone, every single class. That's part of our processes I mean. in our retention. So and and a, a point of contact would be use of name, eye contact, appropriate touch, like a fist bump or a high five, shaking hands, pat on the back, Um, a correction, use of name, So and match chat we call it, when we have general chat at appropriate times in the class, when we're asking about little Johnny, how his holiday was, or well done for your grading, well done on getting that trophy the other day, you were brilliant in the tournament. So you're making, and it sounds staged, but it's not, because... It's coming from a place of sincerity. You want to be genuine and connect with people. And this shows you how to do it to everybody. Otherwise, you can quite easily put all your attention on one or two people and then other people feel neglected. Do you know what I mean? So this is a system. So me, if I'm running a class and I've got two other assistants, all three of us are having three points of contact at least with every student, every single class. Wow. So no one's feeling neglected. So that's one point. Another thing we do is we look at the attendance. So we look at it every Monday we get our stats. You must be big on statistics. Like it's the general workings of your business. If you don't know how many customers you've got, you don't know like paying customers you've got, how many for us they sign up on direct debit. So we just look at the direct debit amounts. That's how many customers we've got. But the more important number is what's your active student count for us? How many turned up and trained that week? So if you've got 300 students, but your student count is 180, that score needs a lot of attention. That's not good because it should be closer to like 260, really, something like that you should be having, a, you know. And what you do is you look at the you your focus on that gap of who wasn't in because there's a saying in martial arts is you're either one step, and this is the same for any business, either one step closer to your black belt or one step closer to leaving. So if you're in class kicking and punching that week, you're safe. They're on the journey. They're all in. They've been engaged with you within the class. Those that haven't, they're going to start getting out of the habit. Mm-hmm. And if you miss two or three weeks of anything, you know yourself. <laughs> yeah. You stop going to the gym. Yeah. You're out of the habit. So what we do is we will focus on those and we will text message, ring, stalk them, let them know we're about, let them know they can make the classes up. And then we identify when they come back into class. And then we give extra TLC to those ones as well to manage to manage that. So there's a few off the top of my head there that that
1: would Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. It's scary how many business owners don't, you know, we're not about um, what they call it um, paralysis by over analysis, but you've got yeah. to know the key metrics in your business. And and sometimes yeah. we'll have an initial session with a client and they don't know how many customers they've got. They don't know what the average, you know, and for us as marketers, the, the crucial number is what's the average lifetime value of a customer. So okay, today, okay they might pay me 50 quid for that first haircut but that's not their value. They might come to me once a month for two years. That is course, the lifetime. You
0: value. Only have the value of that customer over, and that's what that's how you should treat them. They are your business. They're that important, you know.
1: Absolutely, and um, so so yeah. So I mean, you, you, retention is important, um, which will help with referrals as well.
0: Um, we do loads of internal marketing as well for referrals. So we do we do buddy days or oh go on and explain. On. Yeah, so we do some of the biggest schools I know don't pay for marketing, so they do um, they'll do buddy days and internal marketing, so they do competitions mm-hmm. where you can bring a friend and win the shiny bike. Or you can some schools have got it really strict, and there's one traditional school where in order to do your yell about you have to have recruited someone to the school to wow. show commitment to the school. So that takes some real Blimey. strong leadership to do that one. Um, but what you can do is give people a like, um, a, a, a 50 pound gift voucher um, for the school or something big, but you've just got to ask people. Everyone's got friends mm-hmm. and they're likely to be similar to them. And if they like your product, they will know people, but you have to ask them and give them an incentive. Just asking is good, but then give them an incentive from it as well. So we do buddy days um, and we'll do, it depends what the flavor of the month is. You know, it could be International Women's Day, then we'll have, bring you know, we'll, on the women's class, we'll, we'll do extra women's stuff. It could be Bullying Week. So, you know, you're going to do something along that flavour. We we do siblings where you bring your brother and sister in. It could be Father's Day, bring your dad in. It could be Mother's Day, bring your mum in. There's always something. And then you would incorporate your lesson plans around that. Once you've brought them in, you obviously take the details down. You need them anyway. And then there's no point of just doing that because they, no one's going to come back. You bring them the next day, ask them if they enjoyed themselves and uh, offer them an offer they cannot refuse to, to come in, you know. Excellent.
1: And, Excellent. And I mean, so obviously... We'll see- you say majority of uh, kids come to your classes. So if we look at like grown ups, look at adults, adult business owners. What's some of the benefits for them to consider at least going and trying out a, a good martial art that could help them um, in life and in business?
0: For who? Sorry for for,
1: for like um, a, a, an adult business owner. Like, why would considering trying out a martial art, a good martial art, be beneficial to them?
0: What's... Oh God. It... If everyone did martial arts, you wouldn't have any of the problems that you've got in society nowadays.
1: Wow, because that's a soundbite.
0: It really it really is. You wouldn't have any of the issues. One and a half percent of the population trained. There's 66 million people. This is me knowing me statistics.
1: One and a half percent? Point. Is that all?
0: Yeah, so Bloody it's 800,000 people at 66 million. Only one and a half percent. So wow. my goal, this is what I'm doing, my elite training course, is to grow the industry with find other generals and other people, like-minded people in the industry, work with them together, drop our guards, all share our information together and raise it. Imagine we could double it to 3%. Everyone would have more than enough customers, more students, more schools, you know, and it's going to, it will directly, and I know from experience, because that when I've opened schools like in Telford, And you're you're making a real difference to lots of people. You get these people up to Black Belt and you've trained hundreds within one area. These people are going on to do different careers, different jobs. They're inspiring and helping other people. And also, they're going to be a better parent. They're more humble. They learn about failure and overcoming failure. They've gone through adversity. So it's, it's a really good character development program. And you get to know who you are. And then you get to improve that person. You know what I mean? Because most people are unconsciously incompetent to most of their character traits and their abilities. And what happens when you do martial arts is you become consciously incompetent. And then you go, oh, actually, I'm not very good at this. Uh, it's like most blokes assume how hard they are. Uh, and they're, they're, they're unconsciously incompetent. You know, big Dave down the pub until he goes down to a martial arts class, gets round in the face by, by someone or choked out on the mats and realises, actually, I'm very, very vulnerable and not anything like a thought. But people don't want to know that. Because it doesn't feel very nice. Yeah. But I prefer to know it, so I can then do something about it and make it real and build real confidence. And then those people have been humbled by being around people better than them, so they're not pulleys. They're them, and they're more considerate and they're nicer people. The big tough people, the hardest people I know, and uh, some of the nicest and kindest, sincere people I know as well.
1: Yeah. That fear of failure is massive, isn't it? Just that so much good stuff isn't even attempted because people are like, well, what if it doesn't work? What if people laugh? What if people comment on Instagram because that didn't work? And so they they don't give it a shot. And I think probably so much good stuff just never happens because people worry what other people might say.
0: You got hundred percent chance of failure if you never do it.
1: You know. So yeah, no, it's it's it's
0: it's you're going to fail if you don't do it, and if you do do it. And you fail, you're no worse off than where you were, but you won't you won't fail because if you're committed wholeheartedly to something, you'll be terrible at it, but you'll learn. You're, that's the learning part where you feel terrible, like you don't know anything. That's you learning. You're testing and adjusting your environment, so just keep adjusting your course till eventually you start moving forwards to where you need to be headed.
1: Well, so speaking of fear, I mean, you've obviously grown and been super successful. Have you? Uh, had to deal with, like, idiots online? Do you, have you had much negativity in the past you've had to deal with?
0: Not really. I've been surprised, actually. I thought when the book came out, there might be more of that. But, um you know, I, I think, because of my credentials as well, like, I really have, like, I don't think anyone can question what I've done. I've You know, I've won multiple world titles. I've trained some of the best fighters in the world. Uh, and my background is a paratrooper. I mean, I, I, have, I, do, I do know my stuff. And I know I know my stuff. Uh, and I've done it, and I've led by the front. So, but I suppose you, I'm not, I'm not successful enough yet because I need to get some of them, don't I? I'm obviously, not push myself out to a wide enough audience yet. And I'm sure that will happen as as I do, and I'll welcome it because not, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, are you? The idea is if you're authentic and you're real, you're just going to attract the right people to your business that are in line with you, aren't they? Yeah. So I don't try to be a a kind of user friendly. Um, no opinionated no opinion on anything type of a person i think it's obviously you don't want to be the other way. you don't want to be a very unuser-friendly you know opinionated person either but i just try to be i know i'm not so i just try to be real i've yeah. got a lot of skill sets that people probably wish they had because of my my lifestyle and what i've done so and i think a lot of people kind of if they haven't done that in their lives kind of want that or someone like that around them so, um, yeah, I haven't so I might get load from, from saying that now.
1: <laughs> so, so, um, with everything you've achieved, what do you think has been the, uh, the biggest achievement in business for you?
0: Writing my book for me, okay. cause I'm, I, I didn't thought I would, I'm dyslexic. I found out when I was 35, uh, I couldn't read or write properly when I left the army when I was, um, 20, about 25. Um, I had just enough to get by, you know, I couldn't, mm. anything over about three or four letters. I couldn't spell. I could spell any letters, three or fours, anything above that I couldn't. And my grandma was terrible. She write one big sentence for a whole paragraph and just kind of write how I spoke. But then because I was made to in business, I kind of I had to start communicating with people. Mm. I, and I, I read about 200 books, about in self-development and business and that's how I learned because so it was books, it wasn't audios when I first started. So I had to, and I literally learned to read and write properly through that, just submerging myself. I'd read some books four or five times um, so that increased my vocabulary. Then I'd be having to write emails to people and reordering uh, my processes and, and starter letters, and so I just and it just unfolded. And then I did a, like a course when I was older to try and improve myself. Oh wow! That's where I found out I was a dyslexic. You see, so and then I and then I built that up and I wrote But I would never have thought I'd written a book. I couldn't, didn't, I haven't even read a book when I was twenty-four. Um, so to write one for me. And I literally put my heart and soul into it. I put yeah. everything for that book. And it is for me, it's a collection of everything. And there's so much information in there that can help people. Um, I mean, I've had people, I'm not saying this to plug the book. It really doesn't matter. I'm not going no, to plug away. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it. it's just generally cause it might help some people because the marketing in it, I've had people that have nothing to do with martial arts go, there's so many things in that book to do with mindset and to do with how you approach things and to do with just general marketing and business that crossover i'd say there's probably 20% of it which is you know martial arts um related and another 30% of it's stories and anecdotes and entertainment you know put into it into a way so i was really pleased at how it kind of so i've a look at it now i think how did i do that Brilliant. so for me that was the biggest achievement yeah
1: Brilliant. and and what about your biggest achievements in life
0: um i've been a parent isn't it yeah you know being a parent and being a parent and my kids looking up to me and really like wanting to kind of i've got two boys and i've got a daughter so um 23 year old son he's a third degree oh adult.
1: god bloody yeah. hell right you, you're way way ahead of me on that on that front yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so he teaches martial arts now and works with us in, t- in, uh, in telford in Telford, yeah the, the telford in the wellington venues so, um, and he had all sorts of issues himself when he's younger with school and, and reading, and he's grown up so much and developed as well. So, he's a similar journey to what I had. I'm a, I'm a son, and my 16 year old son, they're both very similar to me and had the similar issues, and they're both massive when they were young. And they're, he's 16 now, and he's um, a first degree black belt, he did a qualified instructor. He's at military preparation college, ready to try and um, get into the army as a oh, paratrooper wow. as well. Wow. So, and then have got my daughter, who's the, the, the clever one uh 13 years of age yeah just beautiful she's doing martial arts as well and to, for you, for your kids to look at you and you know and to be proud is 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 the, the best i'd say
1: what what do you think um how, how do you think you would have reacted if if your kids didn't really fancy the martial arts route they tried it wasn't for them
0: i have no choice to get to black belt so because i value the life skills it gives um i said that you can get to black you can give up and they would have none of my kids wanted to do it they hated they hated oh, it oh okay yeah they didn't like it for, and now they love it so uh because the once you make someone keep going over and over again then eventually you only like it cause you're not very good at it but like no one and when you're a kid you're so raw you're not very good at it you feel stupid which equals bad so I don't want to do it. So if you just make them, and then in, in, they stop struggling after a bit, and they realise they've got no choice, they're going to do it. But my elder, my youngest son, he really hated it, and now he loves it. You know, he's got his black belt. He totally transformed him um, as well, and my and my oldest son totally transformed by it. So he was wow. super shy. My eldest son was super super shy um, and wouldn't speak. So I gave him a job as an instructor and said, right, you are not going to be a shy person you're going to be talking to people every single day parents you're going to be running classes and now he's a really confident guy nice. so it's just about exposure to stuff so i don't care if they are being a parent isn't giving your kids what they want it's giving them what they need um i'm definitely a lot softer now as i've got older and maybe even more so with my daughter as well because I'm, I'm i'm getting older but i was like you would have it, no excuse you're not you're doing it and it's paid off and they're all so happy about it mm. So now they've gone. I'm thinking about the man I'm creating, not the child there. Like you said, you normally find that with the mums and the dads, the conflict they get. That the mums wanting to, 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 as much comfort as possible in that moment for the child, which is their maternal instincts, isn't it? Um, and that's great. And if you didn't, have you just left to the dad's device, you'd probably we have a lot less kids, wouldn't you? Um, you falling be falling off, falling off things yeah. and dying. But for me, I was like, I want to, I'm managing the man he's going to be. So I don't think my, some of my kids really bonded more with me as they got older and they saw what I was doing. They saw the value in it. Uh, not so much when they were, like, when they were younger.
1: It's uh, certainly a challenge not. a challenge to push through when, when you're not the best in the room, because we see this all the time in, in business networking. The people who they want to be in groups where they're the big dog. So they're, they're the one that everyone else looks up to. But of course, you're not learning anything. Whereas me and Joel, we, we want to be almost like the least successful people in the room. Because then yeah. then we'll get pulled up and we can learn and learn and learn. Just just for an ego point of view, to be the best in the room all the time, it's surely you're just going to plateau at some point. It's good to well, – and it yeah. keeps you humble as well.
0: It does, yeah. You're in the wrong room if you're the best. if You're the most experienced. And that's the problem I used to find when I used to go to, like, networking events and I've been on success seminars. I've done every seminar, you can think. And I was – and I didn't mean this in any way in a rude way, but I was normally – probably one of the most successful in the room. And I didn't mind that. And I'd, and you'd go there and you'd just kind of help people. And but I thought it's the wrong mm-hmm. room. I'd pay a lot of money. You've probably done similar courses yourself and you pay a lot of money to go on them, don't you? And it's just like, I'm paying money and I'm like helping people, you know what I mean? A substantial amount. I wanted to go into the main room and you never know where it is because there's so many, so many smoke and mirrors, isn't there, especially oh, yeah. nowadays. And the people that you think are successful and running even successful, you know, networking things that aren't that successful. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so that's why I've started something called the Elite Network um, as well. It's just something extra I do with a friend of mine, entrepreneur called Danny Walker. Uh, runs one of the biggest marketing agencies in um, in uh, Liverpool. I've to put you in contact actually. Okay. So, um, yeah. So we we are putting together because we've do, done it for years. We've travelled around the world with, with with people, and we've done all sorts of events. And and because of the network we've managed to infiltrate into other people's groups that are a higher level than mm. us and because we're sincere and we like to connect with people people know that successful people know that as well they're not what you think they're not these cutthroats you know they are normally genuinely people that find a network of people they connect with and we share resources and assets you now i've got we've got friends one of them's got a um, an aviation company who's got a, a fleet of uh Planes and um helicopters, which we've been able to use. Um and one's got a fleet of luxury cars, and we've been away with them, uh, boats, you know what I mean? And everyone just shares and lets you use stuff as if it's theirs. So you don't need you have a good tribe of people, yeah absolutely. Of people, uh like minded people and everybody is all in with each other, then you know, you can really you can you can benefit off everybody else's success as well.
1: Absolutely. Finding those networks sometimes is hard and you have to kiss a few frogs to find that prince but when you found a good network like I say like-minded individuals who are who are happy to share rather than hoard it's 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 life changing so are you um i mean amazing speaking to you um uh, how, how do people find out more about you and the work that you do
0: yeah if you're interested go on to lee matthews official so that on lee matthews official.com is my website and then all my social media is lee matthews official Excellent, uh, of it. excellent.
1: Are you up for a couple of a uh, couple of quick fire questions before we go? Right excellent. Away. Right, favorite film:
0: Back to the Future trilogy.
1: Oh, okay. Which of the three? Say again? Which of the three Back to the Futures? She had to pick one.
0: Oh, one. The first yeah. one is the best. Close yeah. second. It was good though as well. Yeah. Um, and the Matrix would come second as well. And their trilogies that I like, that I really like those. Oh, well.
1: see, I I love the first Matrix, loved it. I just couldn't get to grips with the other two.
0: You know, like I loved the second one as much as the first. The third one was needed for conclusion, wasn't it? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's the we're Back to the Future Three. It was needed to tie the whole thing in, but it's it wasn't as yeah. good as the first.
1: And have you seen the the, the new Matrix? Because I haven't watched that yet. I'm too worried.
0: I watched it. It was all right. It's obviously it's very difficult when something's so big and so successful to get anywhere near, yeah. you know, what it is, especially nowadays because they don't have the budget now, do they? Film uh, People are streaming films. Uh, a lot of the films that come out are very B B and C rated, I think, you know, that you get in. You've got one actor that's in there and then loads of no ones that you don't know.
1: And the, so, and then they're on, like I say, they're, they're on the telly a month later. Yeah. So, yeah. right. Second one, Um, your favorite mistake. Mistake
0: that I've made, or that I've seen someone make. That you've made. What I said earlier, um, the model that I had in business, where I, where the people that I was re- two or three people I was really close to, all broke off within this within quarters of a year, and it was one of the most devastating emotional experiences for me. Uh, and it took me, first time it happened, it took me a year to get over it. I was just heartbroken. Oh wow! And then it took, and then the second time it took me six months, and then the next third time it happened. I'd already figured out what I was going to do and I had things in place to cover it. And it was business as normal. The next day, you don't arrive in business to everything that can go wrong has gone wrong and you're still there stronger than ever. Neo had to die, didn't he? In the matrix to become the one. <laughs> <laughs> Me. No, so I always should... say this to people. Harry gotta too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's got to go wrong first. And then, you know you're emotionally stronger and then as long as you take responsibility for it and don't just be all hateful and blaming mm. take whatever it is however hard it is take responsibility for it and then look at what you can change and change something so it doesn't
1: happen yeah I, re- I read this morning a setback is a setup for a comeback yes absolutely and, and I'd never heard that maybe it's a famous line but I thought okay now that's, that's good
0: it's good it's good when you hear those ones you go, oh yeah that resonates yeah I get that
1: <laughs> nice no, one. well Lee it's been amazing speaking to you um Delivered a whole load of value to our listeners. So appreciate, I know you're a busy man, so appreciate your time. Thanks very much. More than welcome. Thank you very much. Take it easily.